Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Happy spring. I hope you're feeling hopeful as things sort of shift. My daughter woke me up super excited about spring, mostly because she learned that her June birthday is officially in spring, so now it feels so close to her. (laughs) I'm thankful to hear that so many educators are getting vaccinated, and I am halfway there. I got my first shot. I'm also hearing from educators who are really struggling with going back to in-person learning after so long away or juggling hybrid schedules that are just mind-blowing and insane workloads, which I know some of you have been dealing with this entire time. All I can say is keep sharing and help each other through this. Okay, I have three quick things to share before diving into our featured artist and then an incredible interview with Mallory Moya. First, the next Art Educators Lounge meeting is this Saturday. These are Zoom meetings that I'm hosting with Victoria Fry of Visionary Art Collective once a month. They'll always be on the last Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. We're alternating between workshops facilitated by amazing guests and community meetings facilitated by myself and Victoria. The guest workshops do have a small fee that helps us pay the guests for their time, but our community meetings are totally free to join. So this week is a community meeting focused around sharing studio spaces. We'll be sharing some organization tips, but we really mostly just want to see your space. So whether you work in a separate, beautiful outside studio or your spare bedroom, the garage, the kitchen table, wherever it is, join us to share and see everybody else's space. I will add the RSVP link to the show notes. You do have to register through Eventbrite ahead of time to get the link to join, so jump on that. This weekend is also when our current open call is closing. The online exhibition space that I'm running with Maria Coit is wrapping up our spring open call, which Maria and I are curating. I have loved seeing the work come in, and you can submit your work at playinspiregallery.com. I've also started setting up Instagram takeovers on my page. I'm excited about this additional way to share the mic and help us all feel a little bit less alone in juggling these dual careers of teacher and artist. I'm especially looking to make space on this platform for BIPOC and LGBTQIA artist educators. If you're interested in doing a takeover, I'll drop the form to apply in the show notes. It's totally free to apply, and I've made a doc with some tips and guidelines in case it sounds a little bit scary. 
And I've actually done a few takeovers and I'm still always like super nervous for all of them, but I'm really realizing that it's just another way to connect with people. Each week, I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. Our featured artist this week is Chelsea Beaudry. She's a self-taught abstract artist born and raised in Ontario, Canada, and currently living in the Pacific Northwest. Her work speaks through the use of layered color, expressive lines, shapes, and textures that create a story of her perception of the world that surrounds her. She says, I spent most of my life with a feeling of holding back, staying confined within the lines, and worrying about making the right mark in the world that surrounds me. I found great solace in the discovery of music at a young age spending every possible moment experiencing the Detroit-Windsor music scene. Yet it was my discovery of painting when I let all of those preconceived notions go free. Each painting is my deep-rooted, unfiltered voice on my medium. Each brush stroke, mark, and movement of the paint with my fingers across a canvas is expressing a feeling, an experience, speaking an untold story. These stories work in providing the viewer varying dimensions for individual interpretation. My use of texture and color is my expression of passion, anger, joy, confusion. Some of the many emotions us humans often experience, but struggle to adequately express. She also says, I'm intrigued and inspired by human behavior. My work is often influenced by social injustice witnessed interactions within our global cultural environment and personal experiences. I love how she describes using the paint to show so many emotions. We'll be sharing some of her work on social media, and you can also check it out on our blog at teachingartistpodcast.com. And you can follow Chelsea at Chelsea underscore Beaudry underscore art. And that her last name is B-E-A-U-D-R-I-E. Would you like to be featured? You can submit your work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Mallory Moya has such a thoughtful way of being and made some beautiful connections as we talked about land and place engaging students and families, and claiming your space as an artist. I loved hearing about Bahar Bebahani's project investigating water at Wave Hill. It connected to so many topics and sounded incredibly rich and meaningful. I've also been thinking a lot about water in my own work. Mallory drew connections between decentering ourselves as educators in the classroom and thinking about personal geography, our place, and the spaces we occupy. It was so helpful to hear about rooting these big ideas in our own bodies, asking questions about the physical space you're existing within, and bringing those questions to students as well. 
She brought this into practice when I asked about her curiosity. I could feel her scanning her surroundings, getting in touch with her senses, and responding in the moment. It was so resonant also how she talked about finding balance in her schedule and struggling with feelings of guilt over time spent deeply and enjoyably researching an artist for curriculum development. She also talked about being an introvert and how the connections with students and families are nourishing, but also require a rest sandwich. Yes. Oh, Mallory Moya is an artist and educator concerned with creating caring spaces that nurture reflection and dialogue to work towards personal and social transformation. She looks to nature as a teacher for how we can learn to be with each other differently and learn new ways of showing up for each other. Her support of social-emotional learning is at the service of transformative justice, believing personal growth opens portals to new possibilities in collective liberation. She's a graduate from Global College and through its experiential learning model, conducted ethnographic fieldwork and participated in community organizing movements in Central America, India, China, South Africa, and Spain. She has worked as the Culture, Arts, and Nature Program Facilitator at the Chicago Park District, co-running youth programming and supporting cultural programming in public spaces. She currently works at Wave Hill Public Garden and Cultural Center, where she runs multi-generational programming and facilitates arts and nature-based education. In her personal practice as an artist, she creates work that layers writing, collage, relationship building with nature, and assemblage of discarded materials. She plays with ideas of magic, the messy processing of memory, collective care, and deepening her relationship with her own body. She uses myth and language to make and manipulate meaning from ecological processes and phenomena. She's currently studying to receive her certificate in horticultural therapy and uses these practices to continually look to a return to the body through a return to the land. Through the practice of moving her body to fit a landscape, she is learning how to move her body to regenerate the lands within. Let's hear from Mallory. I am here with Mallory Moya, and I cannot wait to hear more and kind of dive into what you've been doing. Before we get to what you're doing now, could you give us a little background? And I always frame it as how you became an artist and how you became an educator and kind of where do those two things meet? Thank you for having me. So I kind of stumbled on both in terms of becoming an artist and an educator. Right now I work in a public garden and cultural center, but before that I went to undergrad for at a very small school then it was called global college it's a four-year study abroad experiential education school i spent four years really rooted in this idea of like doing field work and being outside of the united states in different countries i was doing a lot of work at the intersection of art and ecology but i was always framing it like oh, I'm listening to these artists who are doing that work or I'm uplifting their work. And it wasn't until I uh, went to Chicago, my brother had been living there and I had pretty just recently graduated school. Returning to the States was an adjustment. I returned to States in Chicago and I was nannying his son, my nephew, for a little while. And I got a job at the Chicago Park District, which I would say was like 
profoundly impactful for my career as an educator and artist in realizing just the work that was being done there and looking at the educators and artists and organizers who really fluidly moved through all those worlds and incorporated all those things in in their ways of being. I would say it was through the Chicago Parks District that I really started realizing that like arts and education and facilitating and organizing can beautifully coalesce in these ways. And I want a piece of that. I want to be a part of that magic. I moved back to New York, where I am now working uh, in a public garden and cultural center. Amazing. And where were you in college? You said you traveled quite a bit through that program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where were you coming back from? I started in Costa Rica, which was the first year. And in that, you know, we were all kind of started as these young students in that first year. We really got our hands held by our amazing professors and traveled through Costa Rica and Panama and Nicaragua. Then from there, I went to India for a year, then to China and South Africa. And then your final year, you design kind of a capstone thesis and design your own fieldwork and independent study. And so I was in Spain before my final semester in Brooklyn. Amazing. Mm. So really traveling the whole globe. (laughs) It was quite a privilege. And how do you feel like that impacted what you're doing now and kind of influenced your work? Certainly, certainly did. I was 18 and I was one of the younger folks who joined the program. It was a very small school and it attracted a lot of students who had some issues with the education system, were thinking about like different ways of learning. So, you know, right off the bat, it was thinking about like this idea of experiential education. So really learning by doing. But in addition to that, like then reflecting and I had quite a bit to learn I think as you know U.S. American students traveling the globe together though it was like a class of I think like less than 30 and we were never really all together at the same time it still makes an impact when you know there's a group of U.S. American students in a new place looking looking to learn learning that really being politicized by the experiences I mean it was like I said really rooted in fieldwork and experience experiential education a lot of unlearning I think <laughs> I would say unlearning was the the basis of my undergrad I mean that profoundly speaks to kind of what I want to do as an educator as well to really be in that reflective practice and praxis to really understand myself as a learner and a teacher simultaneously and to come from a place of questions and and also a big part of it was like rooting in place like even though we were traveling there was this need to to root yourself and to to be in right relationship to the place we're at if we were there so quickly then to find ways to root yourself there and to make sure that like understand your impact in a place and so I think that kind of was the impetus for like learning how as an artist I'm thinking about being in landscape and internalizing those landscapes. I've seen, you know, you talk about connection between the body and the land. And I love that metaphor of rooting in place and especially, you know, hearing your background working in parks and gardens, this idea of the roots and putting down roots, letting them kind of like spread out. I just feel like it's such a beautiful visual as an artist. I'm curious, I guess, with the experiential aspect of your your education, how you're kind of bringing that to your students and the young people you work with. I think it's it can be as simple as like being in the same place together. And again, like kind of inviting that curiosity of like, where are we? How does it feel in your body? I love ideas of like sit spots with kids and just being in a place and 
and seeing like really what's going on with their senses, what they're paying attention to, how they're connecting with a place, and then going from there. I'm also someone who finds like a lot of power and healing in the metaphors and the lessons from nature with young people letting their visceral responses to the place that they're in being kind of the the leader in where we go with understanding how it's sitting in their body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And would you want to talk about any of the projects that you've done with students or maybe something that you're that you're working on now? Yeah, sure. In my current work, I run a program called Family Art Project. And Mm -hmm. so each weekend, it kind of takes a different form where we look to nature as teacher. And so of course, that's like a never-ending, ever-evolving subject because there are so many ways that nature can teach. So some favorite projects have been like looking at the way that seeds disperse and looking at the growth of a seed, if we're thinking about that idea of rooting, and like looking how seeds travel through wind and water, and then it kind of becoming a metaphor for like, how do you create space for yourself to grow? How are you naming yourself in a place? Like, this idea of belonging. A lot of the projects I get really inspired by is just looking at like other artists and organizers as well. So we recently did a project when we were able to be on site together outside, socially distant, where we were inspired by the work of Leah Petiman from Soul Fire Farm, Mm -hmm. uh, who has this idea of like, often says like, oh, I know the land loves me back and looks for like ways or evidence that the land loves her back as much as she loves the land. That was kind of the launching off point, like, how do you know the land loves you back? And the young people created these like really cool sculptures from materials from our compost in the garden, which is full of flower cuttings and trees that were felled from a recent storm. And so created these like sculptural terrariums about places in the land that they feel love. And that was a really, a really sweet one. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's such a, again, just beautiful metaphors in there Mm. and ways of creatively thinking through these ideas. I also love that image of kind of like looking through the compost, just diving in. Like I can imagine my five-year-old loving that, (laughs) getting messy and being outside with with all the like bits and pieces of nature. It's so fun. It's like one of my favorite (laughs) practices and the gathering of materials. And when we we do take the young people and families there, it's the same. It's like just such a joyous image of uh, little ones like knee deep in these huge compost piles. It's really great. <laughs> That's beautiful. And how is it like how has how have things changed now with the pandemic? Are you doing more online programming? So it's taken a few iterations in the beginning of March of you know, 2020, immediately, I had kind of decided like, oh, we're all working from home. And I went into this like urgent stress response where I was like, we're going to be doing a video every week in response to this like gap and being able to be a resource for families. And so it kind of set this precedent of creating these 15 minute long videos each week on YouTube. I have no experience in editing videos and creating and it just was a recipe for for quick burnout. We continued for a while. I co-run the program with Ryan Davis. He was wonderful in keeping up with that and also creating these videos, but it, it just dawned on me like that was not 
a well thought out response. I know that I did it from this like scarcity and like that was my stress response. Eventually we were able to kind of pivot and do some outside programming, socially distant, where we really had to look at the different ways that we're making. Usually we kind of frame our lessons and our workshops as kind of like maker space and just kind of having the materials out and facilitating by kind of like flittering around and just kind of co-creating. And it took a new shape outside where we would just have wagons full of materials and being really diligent about cleaning and sanitizing and socially distant. We were outside, so it was pretty easy to have everyone socially distant because it is a family program. People could be within their unit. We were missing that like collaboration that happens when we're in the small learning center and families are, you know, shoulder to shoulder creating work, but it was a respite to be able to have families in the garden. And since it's gotten colder, we've started to do smaller Zoom on the weekends, which feels more manageable than the videos. It's also for me, like you were engaging with the kids directly. I didn't realize that when thinking about creating videos that that's such a needed component to be able to engage and to see the minds working, to see the connections, to get the feedback. Right now, that's what we're doing. I mean, I feel like probably all of us had that immediate sort of stress response of like, ah, what do we do now? It varied a lot, but I can totally relate to that. And then just the learning curve of like, okay, how do I, (laughs) how do I learn these digital tools and kind of figure it all out? Especially, you know, having been so sort of low tech, like how to shift that. Then the cleaning and the sanitizing, all of that is just tricky. (laughs) Some serious growth edges there. Yes, definitely. I am also curious if you are involved in the school programs at Wave Hill, or is that kind of a separate department? So it's part of education, which is a pretty small but mighty team. The education team is made up of individuals who come from a more like environmental science background and doing like woodland ecology work with youth programs. Then we do have school programs. My role is the arts educator. I run the family art project, as I said, as well as our arts community and environmental stewardship program, which is a paid Mm -hmm. internship for young people ages 14 through 21. As the arts education coordinator, I'm also kind of involved with the arts department with the education. So there is a school program called Visualizing Nature, and that is where we take school field trips to Wave Hill. They go to the gallery, we take them through the gardens, and we kind of create curriculum around the artists who are in the gallery at the time. I used to live in New York, and I love the programming there, especially they have that big installation space. So much incredible work that comes through there. I'm just kind of like personally curious about how that's connected to the education components there and like meeting the artists or talking to the artists or even like seeing how those installations and and exhibits come together. Definitely. I mean, I nerd out on (laughs) this part of the work where it is such a, a privilege to be able to see some of the young people engage with this work in either the gallery or there's like this installation site, which you spoke of the Sunroom Project Space, which thanks to uh, curator Eileen, senior curator Eileen Jang Lynch, and assistant curator Jesse Firestone, they are really inviting some pretty stellar artists who are thinking about like site-specific rooted-in-place work. It's such a privilege to be able to 
take some of the students and the families to see that work and then to sometimes work with these artists in the garden and to see you know the the responses that young people are making from this work and then to see the artists responding to their work is just like this really cool exchange there one of my favorites was we had the artist Bahar Behabani who Bahar was invited to kind of reinvigorate this program that existed where it was generated at Wave Hill so created this temporal work uh, in the gardens that really looked at site and looked at the programs existing and so needed to be really responsive to what was going on and Bahar was just an amazing artist for that she created she was really looking at water in Wave Hill and created this raft that was by that kind of if you went down this hill that was at Wave Hill it kind of looked like it was being launched into the Hudson River and invited the interns the stewardship program to really collaborate and to be a part of the process of what creating that sculpture looks like and invited us into these conversations about like rivers and conflict what it means to be on the Hudson River the political social economic conditions that are so entwined in in the Hudson River and along with eight other rivers in conflict and also thinking about like plants that are carried and the stories that they carry in immigration through this raft and mm -hmm. then the final project culminated in uh, a family art project and we looked at like water systems within uh, Wave Hill and drainage and erosion issues and just understanding mm -hmm. really what it means for to be investigating water at Wave Hill and like the many intertwined aspects of that and it was just this really beautiful participatory deeply collaborative process that I think I'm still learning lessons from like a year later. That's beautiful. I'm just looking at some of the photos and I'll have to maybe share some mm. of this or just link to it and just seeing, you know, students like looking down the drain. Yeah. Considering, you know, what's happening here. And I should say this project was called All Water Has the Perfect Memory. Yes. I feel like I have in my actual artist statement, I have a line about water and memory. Ooh, mm -hmm. And thinking about because I have a five-year-old frozen and, ah. you know, frozen too, where Olaf is talking about water and memory and water makes up 60% of our bodies. How are, Again, how our bodies are connected to the land and, and, you know, the land and the water are also, you know, kind of one. Oh, yeah. I actually just recently watched that movie for the first time. Oh. And I was like, <laughs> I think I like quoted it. I'm like, that goes right next to the Toni Morrison quote on like water and memory. Like, Olaf, okay. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. And the music from that. I'm always oh, like yeah. in tears, <laughs> crying over Frozen. So much goodness in there. I guess I'm also like, I always kind of ask for tips for teachers. And one that I feel like, like one area that I feel like you might have some really good good insight is working with families. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times you're working with the kids, but also their families like right alongside them. So kind of like building those relationships. And are a lot of your programs, do you have time to get to know families or is it or are there families that kind of come back for again and again or is it more like this is a one-time thing and either way if it's a one-time thing like how do you kind of develop those relationships quickly and how does that work what kind of tips would you give thank you I love that I think it's both. Certainly there are our families that we know more intimately because they are returning and that 
really makes my heart sing. And also being a public garden, sometimes it's like people come like, this is a special retreat. I really made a mission to get here. And so it's definitely both. And I was reflecting on this earlier, actually. And I think, honestly, the tip I can give is what's worked for me is just riding the line and being kind of just showing up a little unapologetically as as my silly self with young people. Mm -hmm. I am someone who finds like these powerful metaphors in nature and it and I can come off as like very abstract and start like really going into the metaphor and, and really geeking out. So it is a lot of fun to be like doing the seed dance with kids and like moving our bodies really wildly as if we're growing seed. And then all of a sudden, like looking at the caregiver and being like, and this is also about like reciprocity, but still using my silly seed growing dance. Sometimes I think it's maybe an entry point permission to be to like just really immerse yourself and to I think a certain spell of being in the gardens and like doing a seed dance with kids that like really unlocks we can talk about whatever is coming up in our bodies it's just a way of an invite an opening that it feels like an entry point to have conversations on learning and caregiving I think that is something I am particularly interested in and even just before we hit record you and I were kind of talking about like the importance of like navigating like parenting and education and being an artist I'm not a parent right now so I'm like really curious to learn from caregivers about what support they need about what they have to teach. I think it's a tip. I would say that I maybe felt the most comfortable when it's just you are vulnerable and are ready to have the conversation and, and you're looking to move with one each, with one another and each other. That's beautiful. And I like that idea of it being kind of an opening to thinking about and talking about caregiving and being able to be silly. I feel like that's advice that I hear and I try to, you know, take as much as I can just to be vulnerable with your students, no matter what age they are, mm. to just you know, be yourself. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Hey, listeners, I'm jumping in here because I have an ask of you. If you are enjoying the show, I would so appreciate your support. I'm humbled and grateful for all the interest in this show over the past several months and for the messages I've received letting me know that this podcast has resonated with you. It has been so inspiring to hear from you. Thank you. This podcast does take time, effort, and resources to share with you every week. And I want to, I plan to keep it going and stay focused on highlighting and inspiring artists who teach while also continuing to grow this community and dreaming up additional ways to help you. One way to accomplish this is through direct listener support. Your support would really help the show and community grow. So I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show the whole thing will take less than 60 seconds. It's at anchor.fm slash teaching artist podcast slash support. You can contribute one, five or $10 per month. If teaching artist podcast is a part of your week and you love what we're doing, please consider visiting anchor.fm slash teaching artist podcast slash support or just clicking the link in the show notes and supporting us in any way that you can today.
love to hear more about your art making. And I know they're like pretty intertwined at this moment. Maybe could you describe what your like your artwork and what you're kind of thinking about with your artwork? As you said, definitely intertwined. Despite going into arts education as the first kind of step into education, I have only recently started claiming my space as an artist and, and understanding that, oh, I, in addition to being an arts educator, I am, am an artist as well. It's definitely informed by the spaces I've been really privileged to, to teach in. So my work is uh, very like kind of witchy looking, pretty messy, and I'm definitely influenced by the resourcefulness that we think about as in the Family Art Project, where we're using upcycled materials and materials from the compost. And in my practice, I take a lot of walks because my work, mm -hmm. I would say, as an artist is really the reason I want to claim space as an artist is really just for my own healing and the idea that in my own healing and in personal growth, it's like opening portals to who I am with the collective and personal growth opens portals for social transformation. I'm very inspired by the framework from master teachers like Adrian Marie Brown, who wrote Emergent Strategy. I'm taking a lot of lessons for movement building and trying to create uh, work that is sculptural, a lot of assemblage, a lot of like playing with weird materials. Right now I'm looking up in my makeshift studio room of these like filter papers dangling from string that I dipped in crushed leaves and rubbing alcohol and the leaves created these really beautiful markings just by the science of how the compounds and leaves working in collaboration with nature feels really good and using the materials that you know are in the land to think about my own healing and embody practice pretty messy and, <laughs> and all over the place but I I think that's what feels good. That's what's inspiring from my practice as an educator, really just kind of pulling at the threads as they come. I feel like I could hear connections to like the derive, which is like usually sort of walking through cities and kind of, I guess the point of it is walking usually in a group with other people, but kind of letting the place guide you and not having a plan that mm. these walks are the art but are also like inspiration hearing you talk about walking and just being connected with the land and nature that that practice could be the artwork itself you know <laughs> mm. you said the derive I hadn't heard yeah derive it's I believe Guy or Guy Debord okay yeah I feel like you would enjoy kind of reading about that it's not remembering the time period that this was from like a psychogeographical idea. Oh, it says he put put it forward in 1956, Ooh. so the 50s. And yeah, so it's you know it's this idea, this strategy of walking and just letting the place around you kind of guide you, being drawn by whatever you see and whatever you find. So here it's like the colors of the buildings, the sounds of cars, but out in the gardens, you know, maybe it's the way the leaves are falling or like the feel of the grass on your feet and how just moving through space like that. I, I love that like sensory and you're kind of highlighting this like 
inner just this awareness I have where I don't have as an educator not a studio based education or (laughs) an education background or to be an educator training in how to be an educator from school it's really exciting when folks are bringing up like contemporary art history that maybe I'm like oh what is that okay I gotta I still got this learning to do yeah I mean this these there are so many theories and like artists that I learned about in school that I feel like I kind of pushed against a lot of that part of education. Like I was Mm. not ever a big fan of art history. I was like, I just want to make stuff. But there are little bits and pieces like this stuck with me because it was, I guess, maybe I related to it in some way. Mm. A lot of things I will not remember. I had to look up like the dates. I'm like, I don't remember (laughs) the details. (laughs) You said you also Uh, related to it? Yeah. I mean, I studied geography in undergrad and this idea of mapping and place and like sense of place how Mm. a place shapes you as much as you shape it I love the work you do in the podcast to think about many people you've interviewed in the podcast who talk about decentering yourself as the teacher and to really center students experiences I just love what you're speaking to about like sense of place and understanding your personal geography and bringing that to the work and understanding how that resonates with students is igniting all the feels Yes. I feel like a lot of it is just listening. I mean, I feel like I'm talking a lot now, but I try to just kind of listen, like give space, hold space for people to share their experience and their wisdom. That's something I've been meditating a lot on this, even like checking yourself like, oh, when am I speaking up? When am I taking up space? When am I Mm -hmm. holding space? When am I, you know, making myself smaller when I should be maybe, you know, being in a posture in my body where I'm in a little bit more personal power? And how is that like translating to how I'm showing up to conversations with others and just navigating? Thank you for highlighting this like idea of like, oh, am I talking a lot right now? Am I speaking? Like, is this my, (laughs) it's a podcast and it's a conversation. And I feel like there's still that like, am I taking up space? Like, am I, you know, it's. I can talk about the ways in which we move through these conversations all day. Well, now is your time to <laughs> space. So <laughs> keep it up. Keep sharing. Yeah. And as I say that now, I'm like, and now I'm going to talk more. Please. I see connections to the derive. I see connections also to like social practice work. There's artist Rikrit Tiravania. I don't know if you know him, contemporary yeah. artist whose name I'm probably not pronouncing correctly who does social practice work and I feel like my like I saw a talk with him probably 10 years ago now where he was talking about current work then that was centered around meals and sort of having meals together Mm. yeah so I feel like I see connections to your sort of teaching your organizing work with students and with families and how that can relate to your sort of artistic practice as well as this social practice thank you for making that link actually my boyfriend (laughs) is really inspired by and has uh, worked with recruit so it's kind of cool to see that connection yes and the idea of meals I think that's something actually in Chicago I learned how there's just so much cool work being done around like sharing a meal together being at the table Mm -hmm. with one another there's an exciting project with Carlos Jimenez Kalua there's a residency at uh, the gardens and he's currently a winter workspace resident but he's been thinking Mm -hmm. about ways to bring his work to some of the educational program we've got going on he's thinking 
speaking about this really beautiful panchamaca, which is a Peruvian meal and way of cooking that he'll be sharing with us. It's like a multi-day length process that he's going to be engaging us with about like building this stove and like eating with these banana leaves and what it means to be like unfolding this and eating this piece together after having just cooked it together and how to be doing that during the conditions we're in just making that link I guess because I'm pretty stoked about it (laughs) that sounds amazing and I feel like like the first thing that came to mind when you start talking about doing it right now is all of the sort of limitations the parameters with the pandemic how does he plan or how do you guys plan to kind of work around that it's part of the process right yeah I think this is part of the practice that maybe isn't as romanticized where it's like sometimes like working within when I was working in Chicago with the park district there I was like oh part of my practice is to understand these bureaucratic systems and to like figure out a way to navigate them and work towards more accessibility within these parameters and now the practice is navigating how to be together without being physically together what I'm learning I think is like this really beautiful thing that's coming up is just more honesty than I've practiced in these kinds of relationships where they're often new and you're maybe working with someone for just a couple of weeks then all of a sudden you're like needing to have these really hard conversations and like stepping into that discomfort and being like how will this be how will this work be perceived here what are the obstacles we're up against like what do you need to feel supported to be able to support your vision where's the vision not in alignment with what's already at play here that's like a really exciting part of the practice that maybe is not the hands to making that is also just you know, we talk about like social practice. It's not just about that day of being in community with people, but it's like, how do we get there? And what are we navigating to to get there? Right. Yeah, there's so much that has to happen to make it possible. Ooh. Ooh, and I'm seeing that Mary Mattingly is also there. That's exciting. Yes. Followed her work for a long time. Oh my gosh, she's such an inspiration. And So she's a winter workspace artist and immediately she proposed this really amazing project that has taken shape in different places called the Ecotopian Library. And immediately I was like, oh, Mary, do you want to build that in a learning center? And kind of was like, oh, I see you want to do that in the studio, but come on over here and see what we got going on. And so right now she's creating an Ecotopian library in our learning space, which will be open once we go back on site for people to walk through as they go out to the outdoor space and so that they can maintain social distance and be in their family cubes and pods. She's building this work that's thinking about eco-sophie and, and creating a space where folks can engage with the different resources of different ideas of regenerative futures and different ways of being together, different ways of being with the land. But something that she's thinking about for this iteration is doing that intergenerationally. So she pulled a lot of books that we use in our storytelling component for Family Art Project. And there's lots of kids books that are really great. I can even leave you with a list of some of these books that I love. Yes. About being in relationship with the land for kids. And I kind of like leave her all these little like presents like oh do you want to put this in the library where it's like a wasp nest that you know then she 
I see like hung from the window in this really beautiful curated way where before I just kind of like slapped it up somewhere and I was like, oh, like you're giving such special attention. I feel like when kids come into the space, they're going to feel really seen. It's just a space to get really, that's cool that you <laughs> highlighted that because I'm very excited. That's amazing. I would love a list of books to mm. share and just for my own library. Absolutely, for sure. But I love this idea of the library includes books, but it also includes objects and things from nature and how, you know, talked about how it's like beautifully curated, beautifully presented. Mm. Yeah, she kind of went through the learning space and we have two rooms. One is kind of a theater where before when we were in person inside the theater space was where we have this like puppy theater. It's where we would invite families to begin with storytelling. And so that kind of framed the day. And then the other space, the learning center is where the project happened and where they're grabbing materials and sitting together. And it's also jam-packed with past projects and natural materials and just like covered with old projects and Mary took a project we did where we thought about like future plants and like these really cool sculptures that some of the families had made of plants they see in the future and and she's kind of creating some work around that and inviting the the stewards, the interns that we work with to also be supporting you know this framework of what are the plants of the future and so I just love that she took what was already there and is inviting families to then kind of charrette around that and to think about like, what are the future plants and like, why do they have these adaptations? Why did they evolve the way they did? That's beautiful. I love that she's connecting to what was happening already there in the space. Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about kind of the behind the scenes and organizing a project, but I always like to get into that behind the scenes kind of nitty gritty of being an artist and being an educator. And so I'd love to hear more about your time and how, what does a week look like? How do you kind of fit in all of these things? Thank you. I think this question has me paying attention to the generative ways in which I work and also like mm. kind of toxic like people pleasing like that it's hard mm. for me to I think you know being an educator it can be challenging step away and to feel like that is productive and I don't even love that word but it's like to be no I actually need rest to be able to fully show up because this again I was talking about my stress response earlier but you know I, I see this a lot and I think our education system perpetuates it where it's like you can't shut it down and it's like the students need you and it's also like you need you too so I've been better about knowing what is a priority what I need to sustain myself so I guess just something I've learned is that I really need to give myself a lot of space to create curriculum and to not feel the guilt of like playing. I find research really exciting and like rigorous research in different artists. That's a great joy for me, but I can feel I can feel guilty about it. And like, even though I know that it's going into curriculum and lesson planning, I'm like, oh, well, this isn't work because, you know, it is also igniting the artist in me and because it's mm -hmm. so intertwined. And so I've been better working from home has really actually been maybe a blessing in <laughs> that I am understanding more like it is it is work and it is fruitful and generative to be giving yourself time and space to 
experiment to play to uh, really take the time to create curriculum. I love the facilitating part, but it's also I'm a super introvert, so it's exhausting. And it's what I find the most joyful. It's like the, you know, my purpose behind is the connection. But at the same time, it's also like after a four hour workshop or after like giving even just an hour on Zoom, it's like I'm so spent. Like I feel like I feel deeply nourished by the connection. And also like now I just need time to to kind of meander and to kind of like reflect back on how it went and so trying to build time for reflection as well so there's the curriculum development a lot of time gets spent on the admin gets spent on like it's a team of us who work together so understanding how creating the frameworks for like productive collaboration takes a lot of time and to do it right is to to give it that time mm-hmm. Yeah, and then trying to get better at like, okay, I'm I'm done work and now I'm giving myself a lot of space to just to create my own work. That is important to how you talk about needing to rest. I so relate to this being an introvert and feeling both nourished by those interactions with students or with other educators, but also a little bit spent having what feels a little bit like competing forces, but getting through that and reminding yourself like it's okay you need to have that downtime and then talking about productive collaboration with your sort of like team or with the other people that you're working with to make these things happen do you have any like tools that you're using or is it mostly you know email and zoom meetings and that kind of thing or are there like digital tools that are helpful I can go on and on about this online tool called Trello it's just for me as a neurodivergent learner with ADD is just like it just makes it so much easier and actually like something that I'm learning too is that like while I while I deeply value this like way of working that's like decentralized and we're all kind of collectively contributing I also have a deeply ingrained pattern in me where it's like I can like hoard you know like my ideas or like it could either be that I'm like protective of them or like I'm just so excited about something so I'm like I'm just gonna play in this one thing and when it's perfect and when it's ready then I'll share it and we can collectively create and it's like that is a recipe for failure so you know using Google Docs to create lesson plans has been a really good practice because then anyone can go on the lesson plan and spark an idea, like create a comment, like this doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be working. And so lots of like Google documents going on with lots of comments and Trello is my favorite. That's great to hear. I've been just, again, like selfish question, (laughs) Mm because I've been trying to figure out how make this whole project more sustainable by bringing other people into it so it's not all on me but kind of how to do that how to like share knowledge in a way that is not so scattered so I'll have Mm -hmm. to look more into Trello I've played with it a little bit but I don't know it very well okay I have a couple of kind of fun like wrap-up questions Mm -hmm. I love the broad one you probably know what's coming (laughs) what are you curious about I felt like I had named this before as I was preparing I think that's the practice right so what am I curious about right now right now as I look 
around where I am. Curious about kind of the shape of how I kind of like pulled out a lot of things in my in my room in an attempt to kind of clear out. But in that I have like these magnolia buds that I'm touching that are really soft. Mm -hmm. Magnolia trees are my favorite, but I've been trying to create this kind of altar around the magnolia. So I'm curious where that's gonna go because it's been it's been out for a while and I haven't I haven't quite found the answers I'm looking for. So I'm curious how mm -hmm. these little magnolia buds are gonna teach me. Sometimes it just has to keep like percolating, keep mm -hmm. sitting there until something sparks. Fun kind of silly question. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Let's see. I love a good fish taco, especially mm -hmm. if it's like cod and like fried with like so some mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. Yes. So good. I'm in LA, so that's oh yeah, <laughs> the best. I'm in the East Coast, but it's also very, very great. And I'm from yeah. Massachusetts, and so I guess maybe I would be amiss to say like also like a good lobster roll. So good. And is there anyone you'd like to thank or give a shout out to? Even just thinking about what I shared about planning collaboratively, like the team I work with, Ryan Davis is my colleague who we kind of co-run our programs together and we're part of the small education team. And it's through our friendship and our working together, I've met like lots of amazing artists and his partner, Anne Ng Ta, who is an educator and I've learned an educator at a school, I've really looked to understanding like I want to be a support to, to teachers who are in schools right now because I feel like I'm in a quite privileged position in kind of an informal learning space. And so she teaches me a lot about like what the day-to-day -day looks like for someone who is teaching in a school mm -hmm. as an arts teacher and the folks in Chicago Park District in terms of like the resources like that's something I geek out about they recently published this free kind of curriculum called reparations for the earth which is this curriculum that's at the intersection of environmental justice and racial justice and working within the Chicago mm -hmm. Park District that's Irina and Naji who are the kind of facilitators and the organizers but then this like amazing group of a teaching artists, Peregrine and Abena and Juarez and many, many, many others that I'm not naming, but those are just some folks that who I um, was really privileged to get to work with and who are still doing that work. Again, I'll send I'll send you the I'll send you the information because they have a whole slew of resources that are just like so delicious to like get the brain going. That's amazing. Yes, I will be excited to like share them, but also dig into them myself. And really last thing, where can listeners connect with you online? My website is MalloryMoya.com. I'm on Instagram at MalloryMargaret underscore. And honestly, I was kind of talking about collaboration and the frameworks for that and the systems, but I really love it. And if like, and especially with like curriculum and in the sharing of resources is like just so exciting. So if anyone wanted to connect specifically around like creating curriculum and around nature and in the body and artists who are within that, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely here for it. Awesome. Yes, I love that. I would love to see like connections happen. Your podcast is so wonderful for that. I mean, I've been just going through the amazing resources that I had spoken about, like the Decentering the Teacher. And I just re recently listened to your most recent podcast and really excited mm -hmm. adding voices. And do I have that yeah. right? So I'm so excited oh. to see like the connections that, that happen just from seeing the resources that people are have already been putting out for so long and being in 
community and around that. I feel like I'm just kind of trying to like pull it out and, and share it. The work that they're doing is amazing. There have been some really incredible educators that I'll be like, want to be on a podcast? Like crossing my fingers yeah. to get a positive response is always amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing so much. This was really great. I feel like I want to just keep talking geography and land and place. <laughs> always here. Always here for it. Thank you, Mallory. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.